A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. We have to be careful that we don't just live out lives on, on social media that don't reflect the life that we want to see in real life. So it's just making that connection between what we send out electronically and what we do in the real world. Well, we've all been pushed around. Hello and welcome to It's Complicated with me, Tanya Goodin, the podcast to help you untangle your relationship with your phone. Because we've all been This is a podcast about learning to live healthily and happily with technology and the digital world and understanding why sometimes it's so hard to do. Because if we learn how to step away from our phones more, we'll be learning how to step in more to our lives, improving our relationships, our work and our health. I'm your host, Tanya Goodin, author and founder of digital well-being movement Time to Log Off. Each week I'll be asking a new guest what they've learned about the relationship with the tiny tyrant in their pocket, their smartphone. One of the features of us all being stuck at home and locked down in the pandemic has been a huge surge online in political activism. And it's a subject I've really wanted to tackle since I've been planning this particular season of the podcast. Obviously, the biggest example is Black Lives Matter, the Black Lives Matter hashtag and some of the campaigns on social media to support that. I wanted to find out a little bit more about how much that actually does good when we are, you know, retweeting, when we're posting hashtags are we just making ourselves feel good about it or are we actually affecting any change in the world? So the person I'm speaking to today was absolutely perfect to talk to about this. Athena Kablenu is a stand-up comedian, writer, broadcaster. She's also the occasional co-host of the Guilty Feminist podcast, one of my all-time favourite podcasts. So today we're talking about clicktivism, which is 
exactly as I was just talking about, the kind of habit of clicking on or retweeting or using a hashtag to support a cause. Are we all doing it? Does it work? Should we be doing something else? We're also talking about comedy, her experience of being a stand-up in lockdown, the difference between what happens when you connect with people in a comedy club and when you connect with people online and some tips from all of us on how to be better audiences. And we also had a little kind of segue off into celebrity culture online and what celebrities have been doing to keep us all entertained and to keep themselves visible. So very wide ranging chat, but really fun. And actually, Athena had some really brilliant ideas on how we can all be better activists online. I want to just say one thing about the quality of the recording. So I haven't been let down at all by technology in lockdown. We've had some really seamless recordings, but this one had a load of tech gremlins right from the start. We unfortunately had to end up recording on a different platform to the platform I normally use. The sound quality is not quite as good. And in one part, there's a very annoying beep (laughs) that repeats for a couple of minutes that was either on my side or Athena's side. So just a few apologies for that. Hopefully, I think you'll find the conversation so engrossing and Athena so interesting that you won't notice any of that. Hope you enjoy it. So Athena, hi. Hi, how are you? (laughs) Welcome. I'm not going to explain to all the podcast listeners, but we just had a bit of a nightmare, the first nightmare trying to get this recording set up. Zencast has had enough of lockdown. This is what it is. (laughs) <laughs> we've all had enough it stops shielding it's just it just wants us to leave the house <laughs> uh, yeah it's it's had enough so so what has your lockdown been like are you zoomed out the irony is that we're actually recording this on zoom <laughs> we um... are. am i zoomed out i would say yes i think that your schedule becomes a bit more demanding because people are like, oh we'll do zoom but you can't do like five zooms a day you know you wouldn't have five in-person meetings a day right and it is a little bit exhausting just doing it's there's something really productive about going to a place and getting into a certain work mode because you're in that place yeah if i've got to go to the bbc and do something i'm in that kind of mode and then if i've got to go to a theater and do something i'm in that kind of mode and if i've got to go to a comedy club and do something i'm in the comedy club mode but when everything's happening in the same chair <laughs> on the same desk on the same table it can sometimes feel a bit disorientating actually yeah. yeah, I'm just I'm getting on, on with it. Without Zoom, we would have someone like me, especially, would wouldn't have any work. So I'm grateful. So you're a really social person, aren't you? You're an extrovert, I'm guessing. So how have you coped generally with everything being done via a screen? It's actually really interesting. I'm actually massively introverted. Are you? Oh, I just made this huge assumption about you. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's fine. I, I guess I like a lot of people. Like I'm quite contradictory you know, in the way I've come across perhaps, but generally speaking, I've, I've loved the fact I've not had to leave the house. <laughs> you know, it's been, and it's, it's great because whilst on, on Zoom, because I've got quite a short attention span, you know, you can like, you can browse Twitter or you can do things that would be really impolite <laughs> in like some of situations. Yeah, but I generally, I do like people. And I think because I'm really aware of like my shyness and my introversion, I try to make a real effort to to kind of overcome that by saying yes to things and going out and being around people because otherwise you know if you don't if you're not careful you can just end up spending your whole, whole life in your living room watching netflix um so in one way zoom's been good because it's meant that i haven't just locked myself in 
in the attic. But at the same time, <laughs> I have enjoyed not feeling that pressure to leave my house every day, which is then generally what you do as a stand-up. You, you, you're very rarely home, especially in the evenings. Yeah. I've been thinking a lot about that whole kind of performance aspect that's missing from lockdown, because one of the things I do is I give talks. And I, I did a webinar for a whole load of teenage boys a few weeks ago and I'm just staring at 140 black squares because, <laughs> because you know, they, they don't turn their cameras on and I, I'm thinking I can't tell if my jokes are going down well, I can't tell if they're interested. You know, normally I, I can read a room a bit and I just thought before I was thinking about doing this podcast with you, that's for you, that's, you know, like this times 100. I mean, how is it different trying to do comedy via a screen than actually when you've got the audience in front of you. you you've kind of, you, it's not too different to your experience, actually. Like when you do any kind of performance in front of people, whether it's public speaking or even singing, you have a connection with your audience and that is part of your performance and you will respond to them. Comedy is probably most unique in the fact there's no fourth wall. So we, yeah. we you know, we, we will talk to people in the crowd, we will respond to things and, and things like that. And I think that's the biggest loss with online gigs because people can obviously turn off their audio, turn off their visual, yeah. turn off the video, and bang, you've got a fourth wall. And so everything that made life stand up so special and electric and unique is now being taken away. I mean, what I do for my gigs is I try and talk to people loads before I start my material, just yeah. to let them know that, basically to bully them into keeping their cameras on and keeping their sound on, really. <laughs> and it's on the one hand, it's good, because there there's lots of people who were scared of Comedy Club before who can now access stand-up because all the things that maybe they didn't like, oh, brilliant, they can watch a comedian and not be spoken to, or they can watch a comedian and, and not worry about having to be around crowds, for example, things like that. But that's not necessarily great for the performers, in which, you know, the art is all about responding to people and the worst thing is not hearing people laugh that's the worst thing so yeah. I think people as a minimum please turn your audio on because at the end of the day you can watch Netflix if you just want to watch just that if you just want to watch comedy <laughs> you can watch so much comedy on, on tv now like but in order to engage with somebody's performing live for you you know we do need to hear your laughter and it, our performance is punctuated by laughter my rhythm comes from hearing a response to what I've said so if I don't hear that laughter um, I'm missing a vital element of what of my actual script almost. Um, so yeah, if you if you watch live stand up, if you listen to this, please please do not mute your audio. We want to hear your laughter, otherwise it's kind of miserable for us. I think the problem is for a lot of Zoom for business, everyone's been told mute your audio, you know, switch off your video, so that everyone's in that kind of mode. It's exactly what you just said a few minutes ago that it's blurred the lines between work and play. That actually, you know, if you're watching a performance you need to think about the fact that you're, the performer wants to see you and wants to get your reaction. Oh, yeah, yeah. And don't get me wrong, like, you know, there are people who've got barking dogs in the background, police sirens, <laughs> God knows what else going on in their house. So, you know, within reason, like, do if you know something's happening that we can hear that's going to interrupt the show, by all means, mute your mic. But generally speaking, for, particularly for stand-up comedy, like, the whole crack of it is we're, we're recreating a live stand-up environment virtually. So yeah. there are things that we need. And yeah, your laughter is one of the things we definitely need. Yeah. So you d you're doing live stand up at the moment on Zoom? Yeah, yeah I yeah. did a show yesterday. I have a show tonight. And it's, you know, I think as, as lockdown progressed, people got better at running such shows, which is a good thing, obviously. Yeah. What can we all do to support 
live comedy though I mean because you know we all I've been seeing lots of stuff about venues closing and you know how can we make sure those venues don't close and that we still have comedy venues to go back to when this has all happened the depressing thing is is not much unfortunately it's basically very simple it's happened not just to comedy with lots of businesses when no one we're not making any money because we're not yeah. putting on any shows. So if you did go to watch comedy before, what I would do is just do a little search for your favourite venue and see if they've got a GoFundMe or some kind of fundraising thing. Because yeah. at the moment, they're not functioning. They're not earning money off tickets. They're not selling booze. They're not selling food. You know, they're not selling whatever it is comedy clubs sell. So they're not selling their pizzas or whatever. So, you know, there's um, I'm aware that some venues have GoFundMes and are crowdfunding for support, government support is going to be really hard to assign to stand-up clubs because they're so weird. Like, you know, how can I put this? Some stand-up clubs are basically one guy who just puts <laughs> on stuff in a pub, you yeah. know, and then some stand-up clubs are things like a comedy store. And it's like, and then there's lots of things in between. There's people that run clubs once a month on a Saturday. There's people that put on comedy shows in leisure centres every other Tuesday. You know, like, it's these are going to be really hard people to to fund adequately so very challenging unfortunately all you can do is is, is find your favorite venue and donate to them and also find your favorite comedians and, and watch yeah. them. i did a show yesterday and i was you know it was a really great turnout and stuff like that really helps so just to find your favorite comedians find your favorite venues and support with your money open your wallets <laughs> so yeah. I, wish I, I wish i had better advice but i don't <laughs> no 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 but actually that just that point of going and finding the venue or the comedian that you like and seeing if there's a way of supporting that's a really good tip actually instead of us all sitting here thinking what could we do and doing nothing So I want to ask you a bit more about your use of tech generally and, you know, maybe specifically in lockdown. I think I heard a podcast the other day where you said you more or less live on Twitter. So tell tell me about your use of Twitter. Um, I really enjoy it, actually. And I it's become part of my writing process. So I punctuate my day with visits to Twitter and it makes me happy, angry and sad in equal measure. And it suits the way my brain works. Like, like I said, short attention span. Um, you know, I'm a comedian, so Twitter's great for comedians because it's like short, snappy, yeah. funny. Um, I'm very interested in politics and culture and certain things like that. So it's a great way for me to provide commentary or see what other people are saying. So it ticks a lot of boxes for me in terms of my, my intellectual and more frivolous needs, which is terrible because that means I have lots of reasons to be on it when I shouldn't be doing it. I should be working. And have you used it more, do you think, in lockdown? Massively so, yeah. yeah. My, one of the things I commented on early on in lockdown was that I used to charge my phone in the morning, do my business, conduct my business, come back in the evening and my phone will ha- like have charge. Now I charge my phone like twice a day. Like it's, <laughs> it's, I can assure you it's not, I've got a OnePlus, they are amazing phones. Uh, it is not the battery life, it is me being on my phone more. Yeah, phenomenally. Again, if I'm in a, a face-to-face meeting with you, I'm not going to be on my phone. No. Away. But on Zoom, if I'm in a three-hour writer's room on Zoom, I'm going to be on my phone, you know? <laughs> so it's, it's that opportunity to use it has increased, and I've taken that opportunity, sadly. So you, you just mentioned that you're very interested in politics, and that we actually met on a radio programme 
the Judy Love show last was it last weekend or weekend before? Yeah, yeah. Not, uh, some a day at some point in in the near past. Yes, <laughs> and in the midst of that show, you were talking about clicktivism, which I'm really embarrassed to say I'd never heard that expression before. And obviously, I I then went off and kind of looked into it as well. Explain explain clicktivism because I think it's you know in terms of using Twitter. And, you know, being politically aware, I think it's a really interesting phenomenon that seems to be happening a lot at the moment online. Yeah, it's a lot easier to show a kind of support of a cause or a belief or any or, or a person performatively than in real life. And collectivism is fundamentally a, a performative exhibition of, of support for something. So it's like, I saw this, isn't it awful? And then but you don't do anything. You wouldn't, mm. like I said, you wouldn't open your wallet and find a GoFundMe. You wouldn't maybe buy a book or start to read more about something, or you know maybe you wouldn't talk to talk to someone in real life and maybe address behaviour problematic behaviour that you see in real life. It's just oh, I've sent this message out now, then that's that's my job done. And you mentioned this on the radio show too, and it's it's such a good point that these websites, particularly like Twitter and, and Instagram, they are very gratifying to use. So not only do you get the gratification of thinking I'm one of the good people, you get the gratification of having a like or a retweet mm. or any kind of share. So that then bolsters the idea that you are a force for good rather than something more nefarious. And by the way, clicktivism isn't, I don't think, a bad thing. I think public support for certain opinions and amplification of good ideas and good positions is good, but that doesn't change the world. And, and, you know, I've never seen in my life so much support for for change and societal progression as I've seen on social media. But then I walk out of my house and it's still the same society. Nothing's happening. (laughs) So that that kind of fundamentally sums up collectivism in a nutshell. We've got to be really careful. And I I fall foul of this as well you know, we have to be careful that we don't just live out lives on, on social media that don't reflect the life that we want to see in real life. So it's just making that connection between what we send out electronically and what we do in the real world. And I'm just wondering if whether the hashtag culture really kind of exacerbates that. I mean, I was thinking about the, you know, Black Lives Matter hashtag that everybody leapt on, didn't they? And I think... You're right, that was very performative. <laughs> it was, I, I'm going to use this hashtag and I'm going to say that I support this, but, yeah, where, where's the activism behind it? Yeah, it's really, that's an interesting point, actually, because I would say, one thing I would say about this particular wave of Black Lives Matter, because there was a wave a couple of years ago. Yeah. yeah. I have seen more real-world action. This time? Yes. Yeah. Um, for example, a load of white people just knocked down Colston's statue. They were like, this we've had enough yeah you know like no that's actually people have tried to get that that's actually down for decades they'd gone through all kinds of official procedures they'd filled in so much paperwork had so many debates it's very clear the majority of the population didn't want it you know that's structural racism protects racist structures literally and figuratively in in the case of the statue and i said like that enough and they took it down in the most safe and health and safety conscious way I've ever seen. <laughs> um, so, you know, and, and people say, well, that was just people. But officially, the road statue in Oxford is coming down. Yeah, um, I've seen that. Yeah. BBC have committed, a, you know, a, a few million. I mean, unfortunately, not unfortunately, but Black Lives Matter is about black people and people have expanded the, 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 the uh, activism or the activity to include all non-white people, I don't object to this, but just to be clear, Black Lives Matter is a very specific thing that's yeah. 
that is specific to African and African descended people. However, it, you know, it has, you know, lots of organizations are doing it. Lloyd's and I think Green King are going to make certain investments in the form of reparations. So it's, it's not, a lot of people are saying, oh, things haven't changed. I think overall things haven't changed, but I can pinpoint individual responses to Black Lives Matter that where I can say, I think people are recognizing that they need to, they need to at least try. And they do it, I'm a project manager, so I love things that are being done in a smart way, like specific, measurable, blah, 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 all that. Yeah. And that's what I look for when I look for people making these kind of gestures. Like, is this measurable? Is it specific? Um, is it time bound? And all these things. And, and some of these changes really are. So, you know, not, I don't want to give anyone a biscuit. I don't, I don't want to like <laughs> say, yeah, yeah, everything's fixed. But I, I like to be cool, cool. I just like to see what's in front of my face. And I, personally, as a writer and as a comedian, I have been, you know, it's a shame it took, George Floyd's death to make it happen, but I've been given access to spaces I deserve to be in, but up till now I hadn't been. So, you know, will it continue? I don't know, but I will say there's been a response that has been bigger than the collectivism I've seen in the past. So do you think social media's helped that then? Do you think the fact that, I mean, I, you know, I know social media's been around for longer than, you know, two years ago when you said there was the kind of last wave of support, but do you think it's helped amplify it or do you think it's because we've all been in lockdown what what's you know made the difference because we've been in lockdown we've had time and i don't know if it had, if, if it, this would have had the same impact if we weren't in lockdown um mm. and that's the real shame also the with, with the george floyd's death was actually the, I, I would call it a trilogy of oppression or oppressive acts so first of all there was the armored Death, who was a jogger in America, who was killed yeah. by just two sort of two white Americans. Then there was the um, I forget her name now, but she was a woman who called the police on an African American man. Oh, the the in the park, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, you know, yeah. she was walking her dog. She he said put the dog on a leash, and you know it, it wildly escalated to the yeah. point where the police said, "There's a black man after me," and we were like, "No, nah, not today, love." And then there was George Floyd there. So those three things happened in very close proximity to each other so I think it was just like in comedy what's something called the rule of three so when you, when you tell a joke you tend to have you set up an expectation um, you continue and then divert it so you have rule of three so the, generally when things happen in threes the third time something happens there's a reaction yeah um, it's just it's the worst the way our brains are wired and yeah you know you, you stand on someone's neck for nine minutes you're going to see some kind of change like nine minutes is a long time lots of people have died on social media at the hands of the police. This isn't the first person I've seen die because of a police officer. And this isn't just an American thing. It happens, you know, it happens everywhere. I, you know, I, I grew up watching people die on CCTV because of British police, you know. Mm. So it's not the first time it's happened, but the, the, I think the perfect storm of lockdown, the fact those three things happen in close proximity to each other and the fact that the murder was so grotesque, it, makes, it, it woke people up in a way they hadn't been woken up before which is a good thing, but also regrettable, I think. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. 
With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamline my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. So I wonder what you think about this black and white challenge that's going <laughs> around just, it. Cause I've just I, been in it. Because <laughs> I, I, I kind of think that's from, you know, from one extreme to another. I saw this challenge on Instagram and thought, everyone's posting these really arty black and white pictures. Of, and I'm thinking, I don't even know what it's about. It's women empowering women, I think. It's a really good example of collectivism. And I, I don't, yeah. well, I, my friends are doing this. You know, like I said, a friend, literally, I, I'm telling you no lie, whilst we were trying to get tech running, I literally received a message to do it. Um, <laughs> so you've been nominated. Yeah, I've been nominated. <laughs> and I've not been nominated up till now. And I was a bit upset I'd not been nominated. <laughs> Look, it's, I, I don't want to stop anybody from putting a picture up of themselves up on the internet and saying I'm beautiful. In fact, mm. I advocate that behaviour. I love it. I love people saying look at me you know aren't I nice what's wrong with that I have a daughter I want her when she grows up to love herself so much that she's happy to share her physical and and mental attributes to the world that's you know this is this is what I aim for for her and what I hope for her but not in the name of activism (laughs) not in the name (laughs) of activism nothing will change it means nothing it doesn't empower me it doesn't empower you it doesn't empower anyone It, it doesn't it's not about womanhood. What is about womanhood is me putting pictures of other people. Like, these are people who inspire me. Yeah. But if, if you want to put a picture up of yourself where you look beautiful, then just say it. This is a picture of me and I'm beautiful. But if you say, this is a picture of me and I love women, so I'll ask other women to do this, I kind of don't really see... It's a fad. And it's a, you know, it's like a, any, it's like a TikTok dance challenge or... I remember, when we, look, I remember when we was planking. Do you remember the plank challenge? Yes, I that do. Was the original ones where you had to like lie down in a dangerous place. Yeah. So it's just another challenge. Um, you know, it's very cute, but it's a bit corny for me, if I'm honest. Yeah, and it, it's really unclear why we're supposed to be doing it because I kind of, I read a little bit about it and then someone posted that it was about women's rights in Turkey. That's where it came from. And I thought, well, it's been really diluted by the time it's got to me because there's literally no mention of that, if that's the campaign. Strongly, I, I will research it, but and I, I strongly suspect it has nothing to do with women's rights in Turkey. It's because right. I strongly yeah. suspect what's happened is it's just some generic women thing and people are just attaching 
whatever to it. It's kind of like Chinese whispers or whatever. It's it's very odd. It's very sweet. Another thing as well is as you know, we're both kind of we're both public figures. We're probably we're very used to putting pictures of ourselves up because I'm all I'm always plastering my face on my social media to promote things I'm doing. <laughs> so to be fair to my friends who aren't performers, it's you know, they don't they aren't typically posting up selfies of themselves or headshots and things like that. So it, I can understand why they would see that as a kind of rebellious act. But literally, yeah. if go onto my Instagram, it's me and my dinner. It's either my <laughs> face or my dinner. So it's, it, it almost feels a little bit awful to just put up yet another picture of my mug. <laughs> and I'm not even promoting anything. But, you know, it's, having said all of that, like, if it makes somebody happy to do that, fine. I just don't think it's a political act. No. <laughs> don't kid yourself that you're changing the world. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, so talking about some of the things that people are doing on social media, I was wondering what your view was on celebrities who are getting increasingly frantic to make themselves visible during lockdown. Yeah, sorry, carry on, I interrupted Ma- you Well, Madonna's quarantine diaries, I think, for me, was, you know, kind of one of the classics. But there were lots of other examples, weren't there, of celebrities leaping up, saying, I'm still here, I'm still here, and not saying very much. So, it, uh, I mean, what can... I've, I've, a lot of it's passed me by. I don't actually follow a lot of these big celebrities. So I don't... I will catch wind of what they do when, you know, if it's on someone shared what they've done. So I wasn't aware of... Madonna was doing quarantine diaries. I did see her make her adopted son David dance. Oh yes, I saw that. Yeah, <laughs> and he fixed racism. He did. He danced to Michael Jackson or something. Yeah. I thought that was pretty much pretty awful. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think that was good. I remember at the beginning, a load of celebrities sang Imagine. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was pretty bad. Nothing will be. Who's that singer who put his dick in a packet of Pringles? Oh God, I missed that. Was that Oli Mas? <laughs> Nothing. That was the, that was a real, and that was the highlight of celebrity trying to be funny on 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 the internet for me. What do I think of it? I think that we are all attention seekers, and we live in an industry which moves very quickly. And in order to stay relevant, people are desperately trying to maintain their audience, and people want to be spoken about. You know. And it's both sad and entertaining in equal measures, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. I think it just for, for me, it just showed the gap between a lot of you know. I'm thinking a lot of the sort of West Coast celebrities between their lifestyles and everybody else. You know, there was a lot of very kind of tone deaf posting of well, you know, Madonna in her luxurious bath surrounded by people filming her when the rest you know everyone else was trapped at home without you know staff in the house or without you know acres of gardens yeah we have to stop putting celebrities in this place of in this respectable place where it's like they do something above and beyond entertaining us they're just entertainers madonna's a singer and a dancer like that's all i expect of her i don't want philosophy from her i don't want her to make me feel good you know i don't want her to set up a website to tell me that i need to steam my vagina i don't (laughs) want any of this and i think a lot of us for some reason we we put celebrity in spaces they have no right to be in and then they they believe in that hype don't they yeah and that's you know that's unfortunate because it 
it has led to a kind of dumbing down of ourselves, really. A lot of us are getting our education from celebrities on Instagram and Twitter now. It does, you know, specifically referring to Wiley, who is obviously, as we're recording yeah. this, doing what he's doing. You know, it, it's it's quite, it, it gets to, takes us to quite dark places. So they are tone deaf. They are not people we should be watching for inspiration or life advice or, you know, any kind of mentoring. You know, they're entertainers. And as long as we keep that line very clear, you entertain us, but you... You know, that's it. I think that that would help lots. States, yeah, they're all believing yeah. they're in hype a little bit, which is a worry. Yeah, the fact that all of them thinking that they could band together and sing Imagine and it would make everything okay, that was, that was one of those moments, wasn't it? The thing is, everything is okay for them. Yeah. They don't have to affect change. They can afford to be frivolous, but we can't, <laughs> you know. I always said this about the Labour Party, like, you know, I know a lot of people who, are, who I'm a former Labour supporter and a lot of my friends became quote-unquote socialists. And I was like, you can afford to talk about socialism because whether or not the Labour Party get into power or not, your life will still be fine, right? Mm. Whilst you're doing this, whilst you are, we're talking about things that people who, you know, we are not a socialist country or a right-wing country. Every general election we've had, we have voted against immigration. So I mean, we have voted against the public sector. So why you think you can, you can change everything over two or three years? Is it, it's beyond me, but obviously they could afford to take that gamble because if they lost the gamble, it wouldn't be them that'd be suffering. Mm. No? Champagne socialism, that's what we used to call it, didn't we? Yeah, and it was, yeah. it's a shame because I didn't see any difference between the new Labour champagne socialism and, and the, the, the Jeremy Corbyn real ale socialism, we can call it, or, <laughs> or, or whatever. And I just thought everything you were saying is lovely. Like, I believe in all of it. It sounds great. I want to live in that country. However... There were, most of this country won't buy it because this, you, you're not going to change the politics of people overnight. So it's super naive. But yeah, if you can afford to be naive, you'll just run around with, with those rose-tinting glasses. And whilst other people who are left to suffer, uh, the consequences of those decisions don't get to do that. And the celebrities do the same thing. They get to faff about and, you know, live in their nice, nice, massive homes and mansions and live off income and residuals and royalties and all kinds of things. And the rest of us are left to kind of scrap around. So that's why I think, let them do what they do, but I can't take them seriously. So do you ever kind of think, I mean, I know you've got a daughter and she's really young now, so you're not thinking about social media with her or phones, or, but do you ever worry about how she's going to use it as she grows up? Have oh, you... I, I, yeah, I worry about young people now and how they use it. So I certainly worry about how my daughter will use social media as she gets older. I worry about her access to content that she's too young to understand. I worry about her self-esteem. I worry about materialism because mm. uh, a lot of social media content is, is basically look at me and buy what I'm wearing. Yeah. Uh, you know, which is, you know, again, I'm not against anybody making a living out of doing that but I also want I want to instill enough critical thought in my daughter to know when something isn't real so I I worry about all of that and I don't know how I'm going to manage it yet I'm going to try and just make sure she gets a phone as late in life as possible I'm going to make sure she gets access to social media as late in life as possible and in the meantime make sure she's aware of it and what the dangers are of it and first first of all like first mostly I think I just really feel grateful I lived my childhood and teenage years without social media. Mm. So I want to give my daughter as much of that freedom as I can for as long as I can. But, you know, soon she's going to have friends, she's going to have peer pressure, she's going to want these things. And, you know, again, I don't want to deny her things that will give her access to opportunities. So I, I don't know is that's your question, but I will, I will try 
and do the right thing. I hope I do, but I don't know. I think it's all about being able to make mistakes in private, isn't it? That for, for me, when I think about my teenage years and the stuff that, you know, was never recorded anywhere, thank goodness. <laughs> and, you know, they're not going to have that that option or increasingly it's difficult to have that option to make a mistake and it not be recorded by someone who's five feet away from you and uploaded to the internet massively uh, i remember going to a bar in leicester square in london a few years ago now with, with somebody and i don't go out often mainly because i'm normally working in the evenings and i certainly don't go to bars or clubs as often as i used to so I, it's been a bit of a while and i just i was amazed that all the impeccably dressed people just taking pictures of themselves. <laughs> and I just thought, well, I'm so glad there weren't cameras when I was in my heyday, so to speak, because those pictures, were, we were not looking impeccable and there was a <laughs> lot of drunkenness and a lot of rowdiness. And it's taken almost the fun and the impulsiveness out of being in public because you yeah. can't be active and fun and free if everything is to be documented. It's no coincidence that the biggest growing industries in the world at the moment are fast fashion and makeup because we are now obsessed with how we look and documenting our life in a way that we feel that we need to be dressed up and made up for. We've got to be camera ready, haven't we, at all times? We, yeah. we are, you know, we are celebrating the growth of brands like Boohoo and Glossier and Kim Kardashian makeup brands. These are built on vanity. These are built on the vanity of young people who are trying to emulate a life that will actually serve them no purpose whatsoever. It, you know, when I was a kid, I, you know, I didn't have lots of clothes. I didn't wear makeup until I was went to university, actually. And that wasn't, that wasn't unique for me, you know. And, yeah, I feel like there's a loss there, actually. Uh, it, there's a loss in, you know, I feel sad there are 14-year-olds who won't leave the house without makeup. That's mm. really sad. <laughs> um, you know, you've got 14-year-old skin. What are you doing? Like, <laughs> And yeah, and again, like sustainably, all well, that's there's the conversation we had about what these products do. They're not sustainable products for a planet that we're supposed to care about. But yeah, that's that's you know, it's capitalism. If it makes money, it will thrive, and that becomes the priority. And that's again, I keep I said the word sad a lot in this podcast. In this podcast, <laughs> everything's really sad. But yeah, like I said, I, all I can do is is think about how I introduce my child to it, and you know, she might she might grow up to be exactly like everyone else, and like because that's what kids do they go they want they don't like rejection they want to be like their friends and yeah. I'm good that because that's important too so in terms of filming everything when when you were doing your live stand-up before lockdown what was your relationship with your audience and phones because I've spoken to singers in the past who've said you know when I you know when I did a concert 10 years ago I wasn't just looking at a load of little glass screens and now I do because everyone holds their phone up does that happen in stand-up or do people not dare to do that in stand-up it doesn't happen as much the part of the social contract in stand-up is what happens in the club stays in the club so people who film will we will tell you to stop filming especially Ah. if um so for example if I'm doing a new material night where I'm working on new stuff because don't forget as comedians we create our art in public yeah so if I'm creating my art, it's not ready yet. Why are you filming it? So on a night like that, I will say, put your phone away. Yeah, people have filmed me whilst I've been performing. And I don't, I only intervene if, if the material is new or, or I'm tested. I would say it's a thing that affects singers more than, yeah. uh, more than us as comics. But you'll notice like the big superstar comedians, like the Dave Chappelle's and the Chris Rocks, they will, you'll have to put your phone, you know, you have to check your phone in or yeah. arrive at the venue without your phone because they're so, you know, it's their intellectual property you're filming. They will make DVDs and sell mm. DVDs and make millions off of them so they can't have people film them on stage. So there's a, there's a, 
um, a, you know, there's a conversation about that in the comedy world because it, it infringes on our, way to make, on our ability to make money. If people have recordings of us doing work, you're supposed to pay to see. It comes back to what we were saying at the beginning, actually, right at the beginning, about if you want to support comedy and comedians, that that's actually something that you shouldn't be doing. You shouldn't be filming them because it is their intellectual property and it's how they make money. Yeah, and yeah, uh, yeah absolutely. I mean, some people will end up doing like a snap or an Instagram story and that I can kind of deal with. But when people yeah. are just like filming your whole bit, it's like, come on, guys, nah. So I've got three questions I always ask everyone at the end, Athena. So if you've got a message that you'd like to give to everyone listening to this podcast, we've talked a bit about our social media habits and our, you know, politics and social media. What's the one message you'd like everyone to think about, about their tech habits? Oh, the biggest message is it's not real. You know, what happens online isn't real. And so you have to take your head out of it frequently and measure the temperature of what's happening online against the temperature of what's happening in real life. Because, especially politically, we're at a stage in society where it feels like we can either go one way or the other way. And it started to feel like we was going in a good way, and now it starts to feel like we're going backwards again. So we can't take, we can't take what happens online for granted. So whatever you're doing online, whatever you believe in online, please make sure that something is happening in real life that you have ownership of, that, that reflects that belief, if that makes sense. I think that's such... A brilliant way of putting it, the whole taking the temperature. Because I think, you know, we all talk about thinking it's not real, but then what do you do about it? But if you're, what you're saying is constantly sense check what's happening online to what's happening in the real world and, yeah, and see the difference. Yeah, I think that's really important. And have you got a tip? What what do you do to try and get a good balance? You said you live live on Twitter and your phone keeps running out. So... <laughs> Genuinely true. So a couple of days ago, I was just like, I was going mad. I found a, a Chrome add-in called Blocksite, and I'm sure whatever whatever browser you use, there'll be an add-on for it. And it's called Blocksite, and you type in the websites you don't want to visit, and it basically means, and you type in the hours. So between a set amount of time, between set hours and certain days, I can't access certain sites. So I put in Twitter, obviously, but I also put in. The FT and Guardian, because uh, I read a lot of that kind of stuff too during the day, and that's helped a lot. So Brilliant. you know, you can buy. I, you know, it hadn't occurred to me. And it's so obvious there are apps that stop you yeah. from accessing sites, and they remind you. And you could put in your own little message like "stop" or "what are you doing." Um, <laughs> so yeah, find an app, find some kind of app or add-on that prevents you from accessing sites, and it's productivity at the end of the day. It's all about productivity. It's the equivalent, isn't it, of sticking a note on the fridge that says you really don't want to eat this. Or <laughs> Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Which I remember doing, yes. And finally, what have you learned about yourself from your relationship with tech and the digital world over the you know years that you've used it? Or maybe just from lockdown, I don't know. It's a bit corny, but that I care. And that's a good thing, but caring isn't enough. So I've always said I'm a terrible activist because activists put their bodies on the line and I've never really done that. I've kind of just, I, you know, I, I try and, and, and be as well-informed as I can be and I try and talk and write about important things and I try and open my wallet where I can. But I, I care more than, than my, the way I live my life um, yeah. um, shows. So I'm just trying to, to be a, a more progressive person in, in, my, in, in the real world. And social media has definitely taught me that about myself. 
Oh, I've really, really loved chatting to you, Athena. How how can people find you? Tell me. Give give me all your handles and how they can find you if they want to find your live comedy. Not between the hours of um, eleven and five. I'm not on Twitter. Yeah, I am on I am on Twitter normally and it's my name and I'm on Instagram and it's my name and I I'm on Facebook but I, I you know I neglect it but I'm on Facebook. But those, those through those three mechanisms you can you can get at me and say hi if you want. Cool. And I'm gonna put those links in the notes for the podcast episode as well. And if people want to see your live comedy, are there links on your website? As if there's been no links there since lockdown. I'm not, but I need to. But um, yeah, I meant your screen base. Sorry, your screen stuff. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, and I tend to promote all my online gigs. I just tend to promote on my social media feeds. Okay. You just hop, you know, pop in to see my social media stuff every now and again. You see where I'm performing. Well, thank you so much. It's been brilliant. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of It's Complicated. If you haven't already, please do subscribe, rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts from. It helps other people find us and it means you get a helpful little notification when a new episode becomes available. For more about getting a healthy balance with tech, you can follow me, Tanya Goodin, or Time to Log Off on Instagram and Twitter. And both my books, Off and Stop Staring at Screens, are available on Amazon and at all good bookshops. Finally, for more information about this and other episodes in the podcast series, visit itstimetologoff.com. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.